This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray together. Loving Father, as we submit ourselves to your word, I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. As we gather for this Ash Wednesday, Lord, specifically, I pray that you would teach us to number our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin this evening by uh, telling you something about myself that might sound a bit odd. Of all the services that we do every year, Ash Wednesday just might be my favorite service. And don't get me wrong, I'm enchanted by the magic of our late Christmas Eve service. I love sitting over there and seeing your faces illuminated as we sing Silent Night in Candlelight. And of course, few things compare to the joy and the celebration of the Easter Vigil. But I also just really love Ash Wednesday. And the reason why I love this service is simple. I love it because it reminds us that we are going to die. And I realize this is strange, right? We inhabit a culture that does its very best to deny death, to deny the fact that we are all going to die. But I've come to profoundly appreciate contemplating the reality and the inevitability of death, of my death. Reflecting on my death has become an essential spiritual practice for me. And one of the main ways that I reflect on my death is by walking through cemeteries. I've made it a habit over the past 20 or so years to spend time walking and praying through graveyards. It's a kind of spiritual discipline something I do every year on uh, my annual silent retreat in Boston, and it's something that my wife Susan and I have made a point of doing at major inflection points in our life. The first time I can remember visiting a cemetery with Susan was right after we got engaged. I proposed on a gondola in Venice, Italy. It was wonderful and romantic. And the very next day, we hopped on a water taxi to visit a graveyard that's sort of floating in between Venice and Murano. Some might say this boat ride was a little bit less romantic than the previous. The first full day of our engagement, we walked around the cemetery and we said, okay, we're about to get married. We have our whole life in front of us. What do we want our life to be about? What do we want written on our gravestones? Let's begin our marriage with the end in sight. And a few years ago, we visited Paris for our 10th wedding anniversary. We did the same thing. We spent an afternoon walking through a beautiful cemetery, and we took stock of the past 10 years. We said, we're 10 years in. How are we doing? What changes might God be inviting us to make? And just last summer, we decided it was finally time for our kids to join us in this cheery Antlitz family tradition. On our summer vacation, we walked the grounds of a cemetery, and we talked about death with them. And of course, we did it in an age-appropriate way. We're not monsters. We said, you know, before too long, each one of us is going to return to the earth. 
and we asked some wondering questions. Given that our time is short, I wonder how might God want us to spend our time? And again, I know all of this might sound very odd, right? Most parents dream of taking their kids to Disneyland, not to a cemetery. Most couples don't plan visits to graveyards in their anniversary celebrations. So why do I do this strange thing? Well, the reason I like thinking about death is not because I want to die. I don't want to die. I'm not a particularly morbid person. Death makes me sad like I assume it makes all of you sad. The reason I appreciate thinking about death is because when I face the reality of my death, it reorients me. It wakes me up. Contemplating death focuses my attention. It helps me to ignore the stuff that really just doesn't matter. And it helps me to ask the right questions. If you do it right, if you do it in faith, thinking about your death won't lead you to feeling depressed. It could actually lead to transformation. And I think we see something like this in one of Mary Oliver's poems, where at the end of her poem, she reflects on death and how thinking about death can shape our lives, can transform how we live. She writes, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? And then she asks a most important question. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? In light of your death, how will you live? In the face of death, how will you live your life? I think this is a great summary of Psalm 90. This is the essential idea of this psalm. At the heart of this holy poem is the contemplation of death that leads to a new way of life. We see that beginning in verse 3. You turn man back to the dust. You say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are as yesterday, even as a day that is past. You scatter them as a night watch that comes quickly to an end. They are even as a dream and fade away. They are like the grass, which in the morning is green, but in the evening is dried up and withered. And the psalm goes on to remind us that our days will be cut short. Because of our sin, each one of us will die. Verse 10, the days of our life are 70 years, and though some be so strong that they come to 80, yet is their span but labor and sorrow, so soon it passes away and we are gone. The psalmist is contemplating death. And then in verse 12, he prays this, in the face of death, God, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I love how Eugene Peterson translates it in the message. He says, in the face of death, teach us to live well, teach us to live wisely and well, God. And this is essentially what we're doing in this service. This is why we have Ash Wednesday. And this is why I love Ash Wednesday. We gather to be reminded that death will come at last and too soon. And we ask God to teach us during the season of Lent to live wisely and to live well. And when we do this, when we reflect on our death with the aim of living well, we're tapping into an ancient practice known as memento mori, which is a Latin phrase that means, remember you're going to die. 
If you've heard of a memento mori before, you've probably, you'll probably think of paintings like the one on the front cover of our bulletin. There's a flower and a skull and an hourglass. These are classic symbols of the fleetingness of life and how death is only a matter of time. This is a memento mori. And a memento mori can be a powerful tool. It can snap us out of the illusion that we are infinite, that we are invincible, that we are in control. And they can remind us that our time is limited, that death is coming, and they remind us not to waste our lives. Memento mori come in all sorts of forms. A poem like Psalm 90 is a memento mori. A walk through a graveyard is a memento mori. And this service is a memento mori. Ash Wednesday is a liturgical reminder that we are going to die. In a few moments, we have the terrible privilege of looking each of you in the eye and reminding you that you are going to die. With ashes, we'll mark your head with the sign of the cross, and we'll say to you, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In this powerful ritual, we're reminded of the truth about ourselves. And there's two things in particular that we're being reminded of here. First, we are reminded that we are dust. And when we hear this, we should hear echoes of Genesis 2, where the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. According to the Bible, to be human is to be made of dust. This is how God designed us. And this is good, actually. To be dust is not a tragedy. The tragedy of Ash Wednesday is the second part of the phrase, to dust you shall return. With these harrowing words, we're reminded that our participation in sin, it's so severe and it's so serious that we're going to die because of it. Because we have not loved God with our whole heart and mind and strength, because we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, we are going to die. In the world that God has made, death is the price we pay for sin. And I find it helpful to think of death as a kind of anti-sacrament. Death is an anti-sacrament. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual curse. The ash on our foreheads is a physical reminder of death. It's a powerful symbol of this curse. It's incredibly sobering. There's not a whole lot of romance in it. But like all symbols, the ash has many layers of meaning. The ash reminds us of death, of our death. But for those who follow Jesus, the ash also points beyond death to life. Ash means judgment and hope. I want you to listen to how Thomas Merton describes the richness of this symbol of ash. He writes, the cross of ash traced upon the forehead of each Christian is not only a reminder of death, it's also a pledge of resurrection. The body of a Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and though it is fated to see death, it will return again to life in glory. The cross of ash is a sign of death, but it is also a sign of Christ's victory over death. 
And so what Merton is saying is that the ashes are a mark of judgment and they're a mark of hope at the same time. Though we will die, death is not the final word for the Christian. Life is. Life is the final word because God himself became dust in Jesus Christ. And though he never sinned, Jesus suffered the curse of sin, tasted death for each one of us on the cross. Death is the price that we pay for sin, and death was the price that Christ paid for us. And this means that the ash of Ash Wednesday is not meant to shut our eyes in shame. It's meant to point our eyes to Easter. When God in the resurrected body of Jesus forever married himself to the dust of the earth. So there's a lot going on here in this symbol. There's a lot going on in this service. And I think knowing this can begin to transform what it means for us to observe a holy Lent with all of its practices like self-examination and fasting and almsgiving. I think many of us approach Lent as if it's a time of punishment for our sins. We're just so sinful that we need to punish ourselves with these practices. But that's not right. As Thomas Merton says, Lent is not a season of punishment. Lent is a season for healing. The spiritual practices that we are invited into during this season, and I want to emphasize we don't have to do these things. We are invited into them. We get to do them. The spiritual practices that we are invited into during Lent are not punishments for our sin. They are designed to create grace-filled space where we can encounter God, where he can heal our hearts and our minds and our bodies. That's why we do these practices. As we take time to inventory our lives, as we take a serious look at our patterns of life, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our energy, as we fast and as we pray and as we read Holy Scripture, the Lord meets us there and he speaks to us and he convicts us and he heals us. As we do these things, the Holy Spirit leads us away from our death-dealing practices and he leads us into life-giving ones. This is what it means to repent. It means to turn from sin and our preoccupation with ourselves and to turn to, to God and to our neighbors in love. This is one of the most important reasons why we observe Lent. We devote ourselves to practices that turn us from death and turn us to life. Not as a punishment, but as a way of practicing living in the power of the resurrection, even now. This is what it means to live wisely and to live well. And so as we come to the Lord with humble and penitent hearts in this service during this season of Lent, as we are reminded that we are going to die, my prayer for each of us is that God would meet us and that he would heal us and that he would teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Amen.